When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Jones. Bowden. He's got it. England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four. And England have won the match. Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. This podcast in association with IG Trading and Investments, the Oval still a buzz after the second day's play, which Australia just achieved a sneaky lead in, but that's all. And it seems like a lot of hard labour for not much gain overall and, and lots of interesting talking points, Simon. Oh, lots, yeah. I, mean, I thought the day sort of typified the series in a way, in one way anyway. It wasn't ultra-aggressive and you know, lots of runs being scored, but what it was was it was really hard fought and it went one way and then the other and then the other. And by the end of it, it's pretty much all square again, isn't it? I mean, the first three test matches were on a knife edge almost throughout. And this game suggests it might go similar way well, it's a one innings game now isn't it 12, 12 run lead for Australia I bet the, the two most nervous people in the ground actually in the last 20 minutes were Zach Crawley and, and Ben Duckett because they were sort of waiting to see if England managed to get the last wicket or the last couple of wickets leaving them a horrible 15 minutes of batting but it wasn't to be England got that last wicket just in the nick of time sort of seven minutes before the end of play which meant they didn't have the the, uh, the nightmare of having to go out for two over to face two overs or something. So at least that's the one thing in England's favour. But anything else in England's favour, really? I think they let it slip. They let a potential advantage slip by allowing 110 runs for the last three Australian wickets. When they had them 185 for seven, they must have thought here an opportunity to get a decent lead, which. Australia had allowed them to achieve by being so passive in the morning. Yeah, it was, it was extraordinary, really, wasn't it? I mean, they barely a shot played in anger in that morning session. Australia went nowhere. I mean, what you could argue is that Australia found it difficult. England bowled, you know, 
nicely. They did, you know, they didn't give them very much. Yeah. And so Australia could say, well, look, hold it, England are a bowler down, no mowing alley. So let's just wear down the pace bowlers, wear them down, wear them down, make them bowl lots of overs, and then capitalise. But of course, what happened was is that they did wear them down, but then they lost wickets. So they weren't really totally in a position to capitalise later in the day. They, in a way. The fact they were able to put on 110 for the last three wickets showed what you can do against a, you know, a, a, an attack that is a bit tiring. You can make them suffer a bit, but what you want to do, of course, is be something like 230 before, and then you can really punish them. You get a lead of 100, 150, you know, a potentially match-winning lead. That's what Australia were not able to do. But it was a strangely passive morning session, even if Australia were trying to wear England down. I mean, they scored just over 50 runs. 21 in the first hour. Yeah. 21 well, runs. And eight of those were buys, I think. <laughs> That's right. Two lots of four buys. So, yeah, they went from 61 for one off 25 overs at the start to 115 for two off 51 overs at lunchtime. So they didn't go very far, but they had, you know, they had taken overs out of England's legs. And you thought 115 for two at lunch. Yeah, there is the chance to, to press on. Of course, Australia don't have to win the game to win the Ashes, so they can bide their time. There is a slightly dodgy forecast on the fifth day, so you could sort of understand the way Australia were, were playing in a way, but they, they sort of just felt as though they batted themselves into a hole. Yeah, totally. It, it was Baz ball replaced by either block ball, or I think Michael Vaughan called it snooze ball. Snooze ball, yeah. I mean, it was just... So or so boik's ball. ball. Yeah, soporific, <laughs> wasn't it? Really just grinding away. I mean, Labuschagne scored nine off 82 balls with a strike rate of 10.97. Well, I mean, what's the point of that, really? I know that, you know, clearly the... Uh, well, I don't think there's a lot of people happy behind us with that uh, crashing about. Certainly a lot of drinking has been done today because the, the morning session was quite dull. But Labuschagne, to me, just got, as you say, got stuck in a hole. And he couldn't seem to, seem to eradicate it. There was this story doing the rounds today that he, he likes to touch the bales, doesn't he? Uh, superstitiously in between balls or at the beginning of an over when he's about to face. And Stuart Broad has been doing this thing of switching the bales around. And just after that, he was out. Well, it was the ball after. And a lot of people attributed the dismissal to that. Well, some people suggested that might have had a, been a, a factor in it. And you saw Labuschagne walking off chuntering. And the implication being that he was sort of chuntering about the fact that Stuart Brawl had changed the bales round. I'm not sure, sure that was the case, because I think he mouthed to the umpire as he walked off, is it not too dark? I think it's too dark. And actually, at that point, it, it had clouded over, and the, the float lights had taken over. And I just wonder whether, you know, it was quite... The light was pretty tricky out there for Labuschagne. And they didn't go off. And, and, but Labuschagne also got a really good ball. It was a, it was a really fine and what about, ball. And what about the catch? And, and what about the catch? Well, it was Johnny Bairstow's catch, wasn't yeah, it? Really, yeah. really. If you're, if you're being harsh, yeah. uh, it was Johnny Bairstow's catch. He didn't go for it. Joe Root did. And, you know, just a, a stunning Ashes memory, actually. It was a brilliant catch to just get England going because until then, not much was happening for them. No, it was a, a left-handed grab going behind. Didn't watch it on the... The BBC highlights clips. Uh, it's an absolute stunner. He certainly had no problems picking up the ball. I agree with you that Bairstow should have gone for it. Anything to the week he was right off a right-arm bowler really should be the keepers if it's within range. I think the difficulty with Mark Wood, keeping to Mark Wood sometimes, is because he's quite wide of the crease. He seems to be angling the ball in towards the batsman's body and that makes a, a wicketkeeper naturally go slightly to his left and also that's Bairstow's bad leg. The left leg was the one that was rebuilt. So he might not find it that easy to push away. Once he's gone to his left slightly, even just the weight, 
his weight has gone to his left, he might ha have trouble pushing again to go to the right. I mean, I listen, I watched him. We talk a lot about the, the net gains that, that players get from practising because uh, IG are, are sponsoring this net gains arena and the net gains fund. And Bearstow did a lot of practice with, with Brennan McCullum the previous couple of days before the test, trying to work on his movements to get... The thing about uh, the wicketkeeper is that it, sometimes you can cross your legs over as you're going across to catch the ball, and that can destabilise your balance. I remember talking to Matt Pryor about this, who did a lot of work with Bruce French, the former Nottinghamshire and England wicketkeeper, and he used to put a, a band, a stretchy band, around his knees and shuffle across... Um, a bit like doing a sort of two-step, shuffling across from one side to the other uh, to, to strengthen his th thighs and sort of glutes to enable him to, to move sideways while keeping his body facing forwards rather than crossing your legs over as you go sideways. And Bairstow sometimes falls into that little trap of, of moving his legs across himself. But in fact, on that occasion, he just didn't go for it. And thank goodness Root did. Yeah, and, and also you don't want to turn a positive into a negative. It was a fantastic catch. And anyone who was here today who saw that will remember it for a long time. So just tick let's just tick the positive button on that yeah. box on that one, shall yeah. we? Because yeah. it was a it was a brilliant catch from Joe Root. And it got England going. Labashane, as you say, nine from eighty-two balls and that partnership with Kawaja, an almost unbelievable. 32 in 26 overs. I mean, it, you're right, it's the complete antithesis of the way England... You know, there was a... Jo Jocelyn Goldsworthy, the famous artist, was painting the oval today. <laughs> it was almost as if the, the bats, the Australian batsmen were just posing for, actually, because nothing was moving for about the first <laughs> 45 minutes. Anyway, uh, Kawaja then perished as well. LBW, a good little bit of bowling by Stuart Ball to start straight after lunch, actually. Well, that, well, that was the session, wasn't it? Yeah. England got going. In the afternoon session, that was where they sort of took a, a grip of the match for whatever reason. Uh, you know, there were some rather indeterminate strokes, strokes. played by yeah. Australia. But, yeah, they got rid of Kawaja. 47 from 157 balls. So they, they just got a bit stuck, Australia. And then so suddenly you, you go to 115 for three and there's a bit of pressure on, isn't there? Mm. And that's, and that's where England were able to exploit it. So Broad got Kawaja, he then got Travis Head soon after, and actually I was quite pleased to see that they England did it up. Well, I was quite pleased they did, actually, yeah. because I think Travis Head does look vulnerable early on to a good delivery. Like any batsman, yeah. if you bowl a good line around off stump on a length early on, all batsmen are vulnerable. It doesn't matter who you are, it's whether you're Don Bradman or Phil Tufnell, you're going to be a little bit shaky early on if the line and length are good uh, when you first go in. So Travis had nicked one behind, and, and then after that, Mitchell Marsh, Jimmy Anderson, finally got a, a wicket, and actually he deserved it. I thought today he bowled much better. He changed his grip on the ball slightly. I think he got his fingers slightly closer together and sort of gave up on that or, or minimised the use of the wobble seam delivery and actually tried to swing it today and using the seam, you know, sort of just canted towards the slips and with the fingers slightly closer together and actually he did get some swing away from the right-hander. Mitchell Marsh wasn't quite sure whether to, to leave, whether to play. Hit one booming drive for straight six, an incredible shot and then indeterminate shot dragged on. So suddenly England are in a good position there with those sort of three good middle-order players, top or middle-order players out. Yeah, Jimmy Anderson today, or in this innings, bowled more overs than anybody else. He bowled uh, 26 overs, and I spoke to him after play today, interview for BBC Television, and he said, I actually could have bowled some more overs. I was feeling good. I could have bowled some more overs at the 
he's, he's, he's a masochist, <laughs> isn't he? I mean, he's, Stuart Broad has run, I think, across China on behalf <laughs> of England. Uh, Jimmy must have run across China and Russia, I should think, because, you know, he's just 183 test matches now, and he's still coming in. He's bold, his pace is 84, 85 miles an hour today, even towards the end of the day's play. It's remarkable. And, and he was still bowling well. You know, I, I would have not picked him for this game because, A, his record at the Oval isn't great, B, he hasn't taken any wickets in the series, and C, I just think it, it's somewhere that I, I can't see him taking wickets, and I would have had someone like Josh Tung to play with a bit of extra pace. But actually, Jimmy's bowled almost immaculately in this game and hasn't got his rewards. He's been unlucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he has bowled well. And actually, it was a collective effort from England today as well. That, that, that's the point, isn't it? There was no... I thought Broad... Stuart Broad bowled really well, got England going after lunch, but it was it, there was a collective effort. All the wickets, you know, the wickets were shared around. Two for Broad, one for Anderson, two for Wood, three for Wokes, two for Joe Root. Root's actually got as many wickets in this series as Jimmy Anderson. He's up to five now. What a, what a loose shot that was from Alex Carey. That was yeah, a, a, a and, gift, and, and wasn't the, it, really? It was a gift, and I like the way that uh, Stokes brought Root on for, for Alex Carey, a left-hander, but it's interesting, isn't it? Carey, ever since that stumping at Lord's, rolling out uh, Johnny Bairstow he hasn't been the same cricketer he hasn't had he played superbly here in the World Test Championship final for, for Australia against India two fifties in the match looked a real kind of cert for their numbers six seven almost a game changer um, since the, the the Lords incident he's hardly done a thing he played a terrible shot at Headingley his keeping's been a little bit erratic and he hasn't made any runs and today was a tame you know, just a little sort of loose drive straight to a short extra cover field of Ben Stokes. Poor, poor shot. Cue Alex Carey making 70 not out to win Australia the game in the second innings. But he, the thing is, and I've spoken to a, a few uh, people who know him quite well, and they say that uh, underneath a, a lovely guy, he's feeling very sensitive about sort of the loss of faith in him or, you know, the loss of respect for him. Which is unfair, by the way. I yeah. thought what he did was perfectly fine, but yeah, you, you know, roll the, the ball, the stumps, but, and ask the question, but, don't you? But the under, yeah. you know the, the reaction from the the English fans has been negative. He still gets a boo when he walks out, and I think he's quite a he's a guy who prides himself on being a lovely bloke. I'm sure he is, and he's feeling you know a bit vulnerable, a bit fallible, a bit a bit um, down on himself, and you can see that in his performances. Yeah, well, that was a really real bonus wicket for England. They got Stark out soon after as well Mark Wood with a, another short ball wicket in this series it's been a, a theme of the series so 185 for 7 we haven't talked much about Steve Smith uh, so far said he afterwards you know I, I felt good he said I, I played nicely he today played well he, he, he averages 91 here doesn't he it's I think probably his favourite ground in England he actually at one point during his innings was averaging 100 at the, at the Oval before he was out and he looked like the one guy who could play fluently. He was picking up runs fairly easily. He wasn't going at quite a run of ball to start with, but he was looking, you know, fairly compact and and quite fluent. And and he got he got some runs going, but he kept losing partners at the other end. Yeah, until Pat Cummins came in. And I thought Cummins actually batted today a bit like he bowled yesterday, which was right. If these other guys yeah. are not going to do it, I'm going to damn well I'm do gonna it. Get stuck I'm going to get stuck in. Yeah. You know, it, I, I, I'm leading this team, and I thought fine innings from Pat Cummins. He was he was in Edgbaston mode. Yeah. I thought uh, today, like really determined and yeah, excellent. And you know, got Australia up around England score and and just beyond it. Now, yours. I know we're going to have a, a look back moment, um, part of the IG series of, of lookbacks that we do on this podcast during this Ashes series 
But just to say, we will talk about the Smith run out after the break, shall we? Yes. And, and what we think about it and yeah. the, 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 all the chat around it and, and possibly the law as well, although it's quite complicated. Well, so, it, it certainly is. Um, again, this series, this test match has thrown up a controversial moment uh, and we've got lots of things to say about it. So we'll say that in a bit. But first, we should just sort of think back to some great moments here at the Oval. Uh, IG are recapping great Ashes moments in the IG NetGaze Arena, which is now raised for the fund about 130,000. I saw some people in the NetGaze Arena this morning have a going, having a go. Uh, Ag has had a go today. <coughs> Ag has had a go today. He said he smacked Mitchell Johnson's ball through the covers. Dream on. It, I bet he wasn't using the top standard though he's probably right. using the the kids level or something mm, yeah well he, he, he smacked Mitchell Johnson yeah, through the covers he said that that ball of Mitchell Johnson's they produce he said I absolutely dealt with that yeah. <laughs> well good on him because he would have raised some money for the net gains fund every uh, run scored in that net gains arena puts another six quid now into the fund mm. to build nets around the country I saw a couple of people shouldering arms <laughs> there's not a lot of point in that but anyway um, one person who didn't shoulder arms here at the Oval in in 2005 was of course Kevin Peterson that amazing innings that he played here in that 2005 final test uh, yesterday we talked about the brilliant spell that Andrew Flintoff produced to give England the opportunity of well let's say draw that final test match and, and regain the ashes but it was Peterson who really sealed Australia's fate with that remarkable innings which started poorly he was dropped at slipped by Shane Warne, he was hit by Brett Lee before lunch on the final day and also uh, top-edged a few sort of attempted hooks and things like that and was a bit lucky but the key was a conversation he had with Michael Vaughan in the lunch interval in the dressing room and both Michael Vaughan who of course was England captain that day and also David Bumble Lloyd who was commentating that day recap the moments after lunch. It was always going to be that the first session we were going to allow him back into the game uh, we did, and then it was always going to take something remarkable in the afternoon, and that's exactly what happened. And and it was Phil Neal, the manager. He came and said, "Oh, KP needs to have a chat with us." So I'm just let me finish my chicken. I said, uh, "We're fine. Don't worry. Tell him to chill." And I remember walking into the dressing room. Kev was sat there with his pads on, and uh, it was in a bit of a, a bit of a daze. Uh, not too too much of a daze. And he says, "Skip, how do I play?" Because he'd just been peppered. Bradley had bowled the speed of light. He'd had one just go past his throat. I think he. Glove one to warn he had dropped it at first slip. One or two had gone over the slips off the like the, the, the bat handle. He said, How do I play? I said, uh, Kev, attack. You've got to attack. I said, Go out there and take him on. Simple as that. I said, An hour of you, I reckon we've got this. I said, But you've got to be ultra aggressive. One of the greatest innings I've ever seen, Kevin Peterson, 158. It's a private battle between Peterson and Warren. This is the ashes. You, all the rest on the field could have walked off. It's nothing to do with you. This is Peterson versus Warren. And he keeps hitting him over the leg side. So mentally, Warren will be, oh, carry on, or you'll just hit one straight up in the air. He didn't. He got 158. Warney sort of declared, held the white flag up and went round the wicket outside leg stump to stop him hitting it and he carried on. I think that's one of the great passages of play that I've seen. I didn't think he'd be as aggressive as he was. <laughs> I think it was the over after. I was like, oh my, he's taken him on pull shots. There was top edge. I think Sean Tate drops him at fine leg. Another top edge. He was balls flying to all parts. He was playing and missing. He was getting peppered. 
Um, but within an hour and a half, you know, he'd smashed them to all parts. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, incredible scenes back in 2005. One, one of the great test innings played by uh, an England batsman. Just absolutely stunning. Anyone who was here that and day. And that was his first Test 100 yeah, as well. Yeah. And in, his first Test series. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. St- incredible innings, incredible hitting. It took the game away from Australia. And by the time he'd finished, uh, Australia could not score the runs and the light ran out and England uh, retained the ashes. For those of you who don't remember it, what happened back in 2005. Well, let's go back to... Uh, 2023 and, and the Steve Smith run out instant. Just a quick reprise. Throw came in from Mark Elam's son and Alan Elam's uh, grandson. You probably played with Alan Elam, did you? He was one of my early heroes, actually. Alan Elam, who was a, a Kent stalwart in the 1970s, who was mainly a specialist fielder, actually. He was a brilliant fielder. He was wasn't a brilliant he? fielder. He used to run out people from mid off and mid on. He mm. was almost ahead of his time because, you know, mid off and mid on are actually key positions in one day cricket nowadays. You put your best fielder often at mid off because the field, the, the batsmen are trying to sneak, sneak runs early in an innings or, you know, during a power play or whatever. And Alan Elam was an absolute specialist both at mid off and mid on and also at third man. Mm. He ran out people with direct hits from third man and from mid off and mid on. He, he fathered a son, Mark Elam, who obviously was a, a, a fine player for both uh, Kent and England as an all-rounder, and he now has a son who was out there today and keeping the, the Elam flag flying. Yeah, well, he was responsible for the, the potential run-out of Steve Smith, his throw to the base of the stumps. Johnny Bairstow took off the bales, they showed it on the big screen, it looked as if Steve Smith was short of his ground, and actually Steve Smith walked most of the way off because he thought it as well. The England supporters were celebrating, cheering, they thought that was Steve Smith out, and that would have been 194 for eight with Smith gone. Australia added another 45 runs to that partnership after Steve Smith was reprieved. Now, was he was Steve Smith out or was he not out? Well, he was given not out by the TV umpire Nitin Menon. Now, you think he was out, don't you? Well, I, I, I've sort of watched the footage a few times and Sky did a very good uh, analysis piece on it sometime later and they deduced that actually the bail was out of its groove and Steve Smith's bat was short of the crease. And that should have been enough to give him out. But it took them 40 minutes and three different angles 
to sort of illustrate that the bale was out of its groove as the gloves hit the stumps, or when the gloves hit the stumps, the bale came out of its groove and the, the bat was short. But the umpire at the time, the third umpire at the time, couldn't be sure that the bale was properly out of its groove with Steve Smith's bat so, short of its line. So hold on, so which So that's why he gave it not out. Right, so which bale are we talking about? Because there was the, the near bale to Johnny Bairstow, and I think Bairstow knocked that bale off, potentially, in the way that you're describing, with his glove before the ball was in his glove. So actually, he sort of brushed the stumps. And, and you know, if he did lift that bale, then that bale sort of becomes out of the equation. So it's then about the other bale. And so he has to have the ball in his gloves and break the wicket with, and then dislodge that bale. And by the time that happened, Steve Smith's bat was over the line. So I, in my interpretation, that it, it was not out because, because of that nudging of the of the bale. Well, I thought that the, when he nudged the bale, that the ball was already in contact with his glove. I thought that. And therefore, if the ball was in contact with his glove, I thought that was sufficient evidence that the bale was lifted up out of its groove and Steve's bat, Steve Smith's bat was short of the line. But the umpire decided that, that the glove hadn't dislodged the bale sufficiently, the other bale sufficiently, by the time his bat was out of the ground to give it out. So oh. there was too much doubt, basically. Yeah, I mean, to me, it was to me it looked not out. I mean, initially you thought it was out, but then when you actually slowed well, it right say, down, as you Smith walked off. Smith, yeah, because he saw it on the big screen, the bat was short, the, the, and the bales were up. Mm. The wicket had been sort of broken in inverted commas. Interesting one if we'd had uh, the bales that light up. You know, you get in one day cricket. Yeah, what yeah. what you'd seen then? It might Maybe have been. We need a, those. We need those for Test cricket, perhaps. Yeah. The only problem with that, Jim. Ma I was having a chat with Jim Maxwell about this in the, in the TMS box. He and he said that. Sometimes the, the, when the ball hits those stumps because they're heavier bales, they don't come off. And I've seen instances where the ball has flicked the stump and gone to the boundary before, and it's still not dislodged the bale, and yet they light up. So it, it, that, that's one of the problems: is they are quite heavy for certain circumstances. Anyway, I thought it actually I thought it was a fair enough decision on the spur of the moment to give it not out because there was too much doubt. But actually, I thought you know if you had the time and the scientific evidence and you poured over it long enough, you could probably prove. That he was actually out. So you're saying Sky? It took them 40 minutes yeah. to come out with that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, with, with about 12 technicians <laughs> and about two former captains and Ian Ward and so on, and they did actually eventually come up with an answer they were happy with. But you know, by then the game had had moved on a mile. One other little point about that that incident, by the way. I mean Smith, you know, just made it or didn't quite make his ground, but he put so much effort into trying to get in. Full dive, wasn't full it? Full dive. With the, actually, he used his left hand to sort of further lever his body forward towards the line. You know, he is desperate, as, as all great players are, to maintain his wicket under any circumstances. And he did that very well, and he got away with it. Well, and that comes back to my point about when you are batting, is that you, you do not, you do the the most you possibly can not to jeopardise your wicket, which is when you go back to Lords and the Johnny Bairstow incident, stay in your ground and you don't have to worry what Alex Carey does or Pat Cummins does. You know, you just have that sort of ruthless head on, if you like, and it's the same with, you know, run-outs backing up, the so-called man-canning as well. Do not give the opposition that opportunity to get you out. And I thought it was brilliant from Steve Smith, actually. Yeah. That full-length die, that total commitment mm. to preserving your wicket. At, at, 
absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And it, it, it earned Australia another 40-odd runs for that uh, partnership. He got to 71 in the end. Yeah, and then Todd Murphy. And what a revelation. Well, before we talk about Todd Murphy, just very quickly, I, I thought I, a couple of bits of captaincy I thought were very good from Ben Stokes. One, I enjoyed him bowling Harry Brook at Steve Smith just before tea. Harry Brook's phantom medium paces, perhaps calling them a medium pace. Almost as slow as you, Yoss. He's 66 (laughs) miles an hour, actually, which isn't isn't all that quick, obviously. But Smith was terrified to play a shot. And I like the way Stokes put the field back on the leg side and said, go on, just work it for a single. You'll be all right. With the potential for him maybe get a leading edge because he played too early. And I just recall, actually, uh, Ian Botham bowling to his great mate Viv Richards in a Benson Edges Cup game in the probably early 90s. And Botham was bowling about 66 miles an hour at the time. His body was almost completely gone. But Viv, coming strolling in at number three, was terrified to get out to him, terrified to play a shot to him, and in the end tried a little paddle sort of push into the leg side, got a leading edge, and chipped the catch straight back to Beefy. I think it's probably Beefy's finest or proudest moment that he managed to get Viv Richards, his great mate, caught and bowled. So it can happen. And I liked Stokes's tactics there, left Harry Brook on for a couple of overs after, after tea. And also, another thing Stokes did well was when he got Smith's wicket. He, he persuaded the fielders to come in and induced Smith into the last two balls and over when he was back with Pat Cummins to try and hit a couple of boundaries and he hit one across the he went for a big heave across the line very unlike him really yeah. top edge brilliant catch by Johnny Bairstow yeah. running back yeah, I so thought, I thought Stokes earned that wicket by just manipulating the field yeah strange for Steve Smith I, I thought I thought he played really well sensibly and that, his d- demise was odd he, he, I thought he was on for another 100 at the Oval you know marshalling the tail but it, it wasn't to be and he, yeah. he, he miscued a, a steepler so that was 239 for eight mm. and England then must have thought well hey you know we've only got Todd Murphy and Josh Hazelwood to come uh, we, we, we should be able to get a 25 run lead here yeah but no we saw enough from Todd Murphy I thought heading, uh, heading just yeah. to suggest that he's got something about him yeah he, he look, as I've made this point before you don't play for Australia at the age of 22 if you haven't got something about you and Todd Murphy does look to have something about him and I, I thought he he did really well took on, took on Mark Wood he hit him for three, three sixes, sixes. Yeah. yeah three sixes over fine leg and just propelled Australia they were forward. really good shots they were actually. Yeah. And, he, and he, he looked good it wasn't just slogging he looked good on the back foot but defensively as well and, and, and you know he played the ball on its merits as you say he showed something at Headingley about his batting he actually in his first class average isn't, isn't much I think it's about 12 you know it's not any better than mine but he, he looks actually as if he's got potential to be a decent sort of number eight or nine definitely yeah. and just talking about your batting oh Oz, God, we need to again. correct something from last night well, I got stumped by well, Mike Proctor you said you got stumped off Mike Proctor and then you discovered today you were caught off Mike Proctor yeah it was yeah, caught, well, caught by yeah. Robin Smith, and you sent me the scorecard uh, yes. from that match, uh, Northern Transvaal against uh, Natal. And what you also did as well, I noticed, is <laughs> that Natal, in their second innings... First the, innings, only innings. Oh, only innings, OK. Made 548 for six, and you cut off the <laughs> scorecard you sent me without your bowling figures in it. So they made 500. 48 for six. Mike Proctor making 99 as well as taking a whole bundle of wickets, Ten including wickets yours, in, match, yours yeah. in the match. Yeah. But no, no bowling figures <laughs> from S. Hughes. Well, you hide the bowling because when you have a bad day, don't right. you? No, I, I, I was 20 overs, 0 for 80. So 
it was okay. You know, it was nothing special. No wickets, flat pitch at Kingsmead at Durban. I was bowling at Barry Richards and Mike Proctor, amongst others, Robin Smith as well. So it was a fairly tall order. Uh, and no, I didn't uh, cover myself in glory in that game. But anyway, you know, I didn't deliberately cut the bowling figures off, actually. It's just that nothing I'm particularly proud of. So the bowling figures for England, in the end, um, actually make sort of reasonably respectable reading, partly because Australia was so kind of passive and, and, and un, un, unadventurous with their batting. So no one really went for more than two and over. Australia, the point is, they batted for 103 overs, so double what England have batted for, which at least has given their bowlers a bit of respite. 31 extras, yeah. England, well, given were, away, which well, is some of them are leg buys and things which you well, can't... buys, I mean, they're not look. buys, but they, the ball was swinging way was, down actually. the leg side after it had gone yeah. past the, the batter, so, you know, you couldn't blame... You know, you couldn't blame Johnny Bairstow for those. They were they were totally out of his reach. It was quite difficult, actually. Uh, I, but the, the the point is now that England need to tomorrow. They need to give their bowlers some respite, don't they? They they can't. I don't think they can play like they played in the first innings. Well, they probably will, but they 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 don't want to be bowling. You know, by tea time tomorrow with setting Australia 280 to win they need they actually need to give their balls a bit of time to recover don't they absolutely they need to right. bat the day tomorrow they, really they absolutely do and you know one question for you then who's going to bat number three well good it's not a question I can answer Mo, I mean Mo and Ali can't bat there for a hundred unless there's a partnership for the first wicket that lasts 120 minutes he's also struggling with this this groin injury I don't know do they push Joe Root up to, to number three I think I think they have to I, I ben Stokes could bat a number three. Ben Stokes could bat a number Chris three. Chris Wokes yeah. could bat a number three. I, I mean, Chris Wokes has batted at number three, actually, I think, in a test match. I think we've, he certainly batted in number three in a, uh, the World Cup in 2019 when um, Joe, Jason Roy was injured uh, against the West Indies. Chris Wokes went in at number three, perfectly capable of doing that. I think Stokes, Stokes hasn't done much in this game. By the way, brilliant catch at Fantastic, the end to get yeah. rid of uh, Pat Cummins, taken on the boundary edge, overbalanced threw it up in the air and caught, caught the rebound when he jumped back into the boundary line. Did cool as a cucumber, absolutely superb. But he hasn't done anything else in the game, really. So maybe he should bat at number three, yeah. Good well, I idea. Don't, I, well, don't th I don't think he wants to bat there. I think, no. you know, I think he feels he's far more effective in that sort of number six yeah. or five, six position. Okay. So I don't see, what, I don't see how, what, what the options are. I mean, Brooke could go back to number three. He was asked to do it earlier in the series and it, it didn't look didn't sit very well that's why uh, Moen was up there so what do they do just hope hope for a miracle cure for Moen and an opening partnership that lasts for two hours well I mean Moen not going to happen is it it's not going to happen I mean Moen obviously should should be able to bat I mean England have to bat as long as they can yeah. to give Moen the chance and Moen can bat on one leg I would have thought so they've just got to you know work work away and, and get the you know pile up some runs tomorrow stay in just stay in they don't need to be running up the wicket Basball can be just put away for, for one day of the series. Yeah, the, bowl, the bowlers are praying, aren't they? Please, please just bat for a day. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the other issue, of course, England have to win the game, and there's a slightly iffy weather forecast for Monday. So does that mean England have to... Oh, I don't know, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But they, they, they want... I, I would have thought they do not want to be bowling much before, at, at the sort of very earliest, half an hour before the close... On, on the third that would day, be ideal, would you say it? that's something like that? That, that? That's the limit. But so that's about 80 overs. It's 75 overs, yeah. say, or something. So that's. that's well, if you've got the England got five and over, which is what they normally do, they'll, that, they'll be setting Australia about 330, 340 to win. Yeah, good game. Well, I hope they do it. 
just like to say a couple of thank yous. One to the people that I met this morning who are avid listeners to our podcast. And please, anybody who is prepared to, leave us a review on iTunes. It always helps us. And you can also send us some questions or comments as well. There's a good story knocking around at the moment about the ECB chairman, Richard Thompson, suggesting to the ICC that test matches in England should have a reserve day. So what do you think about that? Or the terrible overrates we've had in this series, does it matter? Send that to either my Twitter handle, at The Analyst, or Simon's handle, which is at cricket underscore man. And also thank you to IG for their support of this podcast. More information on the IG Net Gains Fund, go to ig.com slash investing. And we'll speak to you tomorrow. We will indeed, another cracking day in prospect. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.